This is Kim, your friendly neighborhood ER nurse. I'm the host of People Are Wild, the only podcast that claims to bring medical entertainment, medutainment, on a weekly basis. I can be found on your favorite podcast listening app, iTunes, and Google Play, and you can talk to me on Twitter at People Are Wild. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 25. We're not in age this time? Oh, no, we are. We can rent cars for cheap. <laughs> Your insurance goes down. Oh, yeah. That was a major uh-huh. plus. Welcome to adulthood, baby podcast. <laughs> we're not a baby podcast anymore. Mm-mm. Holy crap, we're a quarter of a century old in podcast years. <laughs> They're like, Is that oh like dog God. years? <laughs> Wait, I'm a dog? No. You look like one. No. <laughs> I mean, I correct myself. If at least you like bulldogs. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I don't know why I laughed really hard at myself on that one. <laughs> you think you're funny? I'm the only one. Oh gosh. Okay. Well, what y'all just heard was a little promo by Kim, and she's over at People Are Wild podcast. Yes, check her out. You know I love medical stuff. Mm-hmm. It's my jam. <laughs> Check it out. I love the cover art, too, of her podcast. It's yeah. the x-ray of a pelvis. Yeah. Love it. You know she likes a pelvis. I mean, little thrust action. <laughs> Stuffing some crust. <laughs> oh, God. What can I say? I mean, thrust does rhyme with it. I mean, <laughs> I couldn't think of anything witty. <laughs> I almost repeated exactly what you said, <laughs> which is my life. Yes, also, so you love medical stuff, but I love... Pop culture. Pop culture. Thank you for telling me. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and she merges both of them, and so it's like, I can get with that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Also, we bonded over Big Brother. Yes. I mean, if you like Big Brother, you're cool in my book. Although I have not been watching this season. I watched... I did set it to record on my new cable. <laughs> Ooh. Uh-huh. Because, I like, I've just been so damn busy. It's I haven't had time. It's actually a terrible season. I, I figured. <laughs> it's you know, usually bad. it takes me a couple of episodes to get into it because mm-hmm. there's just so many people and I'm too ADHD for that. Yeah. But, like, even, I just couldn't get into it. Yeah. It's me. But, you know, i got to watch it. Yeah. Anyway, so, if you like pop culture, you like medical shit, go check her out. Speaking of another K name, but not me. Oh, and not other? Mm-hmm. We have a new Patreoner <laughs> by the name of Kimberly K. <laughs> That's how Donna says her name every time. It's from my best friend's wedding when they're at the karaoke thing and Julia Roberts knows that Cameron Diaz's character doesn't want to sing it and she's like okay okay i got this and then she's then she's like kimberly wallace and so i have to say it like that oh well that anyway i mean if y'all don't like that movie y'all need to go i never liked it <gasps> see mm-mm, you're gonna be uncool like her <laughs> okay anyway kim thank she up so i think we said her last week anyway it doesn't matter but she upped her patreon 
to now she gets bonus episodes and mm-hmm. she'll be announcing a new Sinister Sightings episode and coming up. And she gets bloopers, y'all. And I'm telling Didn't you. Didn't I say that? No, you said she gets bonus episodes. Oh, that's what I meant to say. Was well, bloopers. she does get bonus episodes, too. But you get that as a $5 account, too. So anyway, thank you, Kim, for being part of the Patreon. Yes. Well, what I was saying is July's bloopers were funny. That was our first time to do bloopers. A.K.A. Will. Yeah, thank you. He makes our fuck-ups sound pretty funny. But then in August, there is an incident that changed me. And it is <laughs> caught on, on tape. On camera? Yeah. Oh, on tape. Okay, we're mm-hmm. going real old school. Cool. I mean, we're 25, so we're old. Um, <laughs> we remember tape. But uh, anyway, so if you ever... I think you can do like a one-time thing it is worth it because you will hear a whole new side of me in different octaves (laughs) anyway moving on and let's get into it okay get creepy with it sorry oh god that was like a like a poor man's will smith (laughs) getting jiggy with it (laughs) that's what i tried oh well i just didn't do it really well well your point came across (laughs) but you didn't know i was trying to do that Mm. okay me first Today, tonight, this episode, (laughs) (laughs) I am doing a serial killer by the name of Charles Edmund Cullen. Ever heard of him? I don't think so. Me neither. (laughs) (laughs) But I I know I know Ed Edward Cullen was uh, Twilight. I think. Oh, wasn't it? That sounds right. The Cullens, yeah, the Cullens mm-hmm. is correct. And his name was Edward, right? Anyway, go ahead. Okay, so, old Charles in, in charge. charge. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, okay, so I was like, look, this is what I want to do. I want to do an angel of death. Oh, fuck. Enter. So you said Tiffany. <laughs> 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 Tiffany. Give me a name. <laughs> so anyway, I so he's an angel of death, obviously. So obviously he's a murderer, and obviously people are going to die. Obviously, obvi. Okay, so Charles was born in 1960 in West Orange, New Jersey. He was the last of eight kids. Damn. He had five sisters and two brothers. When he was seven months old, his father died at the age of 56. Oh gosh. So not vampires. No, they did. Vampires Damn. don't die. Of course, again, as everything, his childhood was described as quite miserable. When he was nine, he attempted suicide for the first time. Oh, gosh. By drinking chemicals from (gasps) a chemistry set he had. Oh, my God. Bless it. Yeah. In fifth grade, he wrote a book with his only friend titled Infinity Years Will Never Know. And it was about growing up a world in which... Your life is meaningless. He's in fifth grade. He was 11 years old. grade. It's said that he was teased pretty relentlessly at school. I don't know. It just said that he was teased. Did he sound weird since he did all the chemical? I don't fucking know. (laughs) Damn. I don't fucking know. That's what I sound like. (laughs) When he was in high school, he, of course, was bullied just like when he was in grammar school. And he went to a party and decided to get back at the people 
He laced the drinks with rat poison. Holy fuck. Nobody died, but he had did that. Holy shit. Yeah. So his, I mean, like, he had a very tumultuous, I'd never say that word right. Girl, you know I can't say it. Anyway, one of those lives. Who is his fucking idol? Jim Jones? His idol, actually, was the book Crime and Punishment. Oh. And it's about a man who was a murderer. Okay. By someone I should know how to say their last name, but I don't. Daskovsky. Oh, yeah. That's really bad. We're probably going to get emails. It's okay. <laughs> so he drops out of high school after he tried to kill everybody and joins the Navy. He actually did pretty well at the beginning of his naval career. He was promoted to Petty Officer 3rd Class, and was he was on the USS Woodrow Wilson. He operated the ship's Poseidon missiles, which was like some fancy ballistic missile. But as with previous experiences, he was labeled a misfit and constantly ridiculed, hazed, taunted. They gave him the nickname Fishbelly. What the hell does that even mean? <laughs> There's got to be a story behind that that we don't know. What the fuck is a Fishbelly? I don't know. He flops. So we Googled fish belly and it's inappropriate. <laughs> it's a racial slur about white people. Yeah, who knew? Or the underside of an erect penis. <laughs> or tell them the other thing. Oh, the, um, oh, yeah. When a girl's fat belly hangs out of her underneath her shirt. A.K.A. me every day. No. <laughs> but we call that Baby Huey. Yeah. When you Remember the cartoon that was the big old duck, duck that was like a baby, but he was huge. And I'm pretty sure he <laughs> smoked a cigar. But his shirt like only covered his duck boobs. <laughs> but his belly was out and then he had the diaper on. We, so we call that Baby Huey in it when your shirt's too short for men and women. Yeah. Boys and girls. <laughs> But this is just for a girl whose spare tire is hanging out from (laughs) under their shirt. Get a bigger shirt. Oh, my gosh. Oh, also about grandma's fish belly. Oh, (laughs) because this is all Urban Dictionary, y'all. This is not solid source, but it said that fish belly is also like the waistband underneath your bathing suit or underwear that never gets to see the light of day. That's your fish belly. And, like, the sentence that Urban Dictionary had was, like, when Grandma was in the hospital, I accidentally saw her white fish belly. What <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> Urban Dictionary, you, you lit, man. Oh, gosh. Okay, so, apparently, though, it really is a racial slur. Yeah, we're not going to say it again. So, aside from the really freaking stupid and funny definitions <laughs> on Urban Dictionary, it's inappropriate. So, don't not, call your friends Yeah, that. and not going to be the title of this episode no 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 no. so about a year after he got the nickname they found him sitting on the ship Mm -hmm. on the uss woodrow wilson sitting on a ship in a stolen hospital gown mask and gloves at the missile missile control panel oh they saw his fish belly oh my god oh my god (laughs) a hospital gown (laughs) mind blown Full fucking circle. <laughs> this this podcast is over. <laughs> that right there, we're done. <laughs> End of story. Okay, anyway, so 
obviously they reported the incident and they were like, okay, we're going to move you <laughs> to another ship because he clearly has some mental health issues going on and doesn't need to be sitting at missile control. Yeah. Legit. He's fucking sitting at missile control in what appears to be some form of like a psychotic break. Yeah. So in the next few years, he had about three more years in the Navy. And throughout that time, he attempted suicide seven times. Oh, Lord. And so he received a medical discharge from the Navy in 84. Bless it. So not long after his discharge from the Army, he enrolled in Mountainside Hospital School of Nursing in Montclair, New Jersey. He was kind of found his footing in nursing school. He was obviously, I mean, he was in his medical shit. He could wear the his gown and gloves yeah, and masks. He could wear all of that. Mm-hmm. He was elected president of his nursing class. Damn. And he graduated in 1987. Two months before he graduated nursing school, though, his brother James died of an overdose. Oh, gosh. But also in 87, he marries a computer programmer named Adrian Taub. And then he starts working that same month at St. Barnabas Medical Center in Livingston. So the very next year, he had his first daughter. After his first daughter was born is when he killed his very first victim. He killed 17-year-old John Yingo, and he used lidocaine. Like, he injected him with lidocaine. Oh. So was it a random killing, or was this person, like, almost dead? You know, like... Well, and that's kind of, like, at the beginning, a lot of the people that he killed were... Terminally, Yeah, we're like uh, either close to death or very, very sick. And so he said that he killed them to avoid them being, quote, coded, uh-huh. um, which just means that when they call, like usually it's a code blue in almost every single hospital when someone's in cardiac or respiratory arrest and you have to bring in the cart and yeah. bring it back to life, right? And so he said that he wanted to avoid people being coded. And so that he would kill the patients by either giving them an overdose of insulin, lidocaine, and then digoxin. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but I think that's a heart medicine, kind of like epinephrine. Mm. And so he would kill some people who, like, had AIDS and stuff. And if you think about it, it's in the late 80s. Yeah. Um, for the most part of his kills. and Well, not the most part, but whatever. And so there wasn't a whole lot understood about AIDS at the time and treatment and all of that. But Yeah. Did they feel any pain with that, or did they just kind of die in their sleep? I don't know. So at the end of 90 to the beginning of 1991, he starts to abuse his family. Like, during the winter months, he would turn the heat off. And remember, they live in Jersey. Yeah. So, it's freaking cold. Yeah. Then, he would put the family's two Yorkshire Terriers in trash cans. Oh. And just, like, leave them there to torture them. I can get behind it being cold because that's my heaven. I know it's torture for everyone else, but okay. But when you go put a fucking dog in a trash can. I know. I have nothing good to say about you. And that's all I have to say about that. I know, girl. It's like killing. It's like any time an animal is hurt, 
Mm-hmm. Even a stupid animal I don't like. I'm like, <laughs> ooh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a raccoon. And I'd be like, don't hurt the raccoon. Yeah, don't hurt the raccoon. <laughs> Besides when it's here at 4 a.m. and it's trying to get my cat food. Mm-hmm. That's why you shouldn't have a cat. <laughs> okay, so while he was working at St. Barnabas, he that's where he said that he had committed a murder of a some someone who was dying of AIDS mm-hmm. with an ins, with insulin. And then so the hospital started investigating him because someone had contaminated some IV bags. And so they're investigating him and he so he gets fired. So a month after he leaves that hospital, he starts working at Warren Hospital in Phillipsburg. Okay. In in Jersey. Around that time, his second daughter is born. And then the next year, his wife files a domestic violence complaint against him. And the judge issues a war. I mean, a, I'm sorry, a restraining order. Good for her. I know. And then she files for divorce, like, just like a few days after she got the... Restraining order. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. And then... So after she gives him the divorce papers, she files another domestic violence complaint and requests temporary restraining order because she feels like his access to medicine could put her and her daughters at risk. Oh, God. So, so obviously, true. like, she was sensing something, something had oh, been yeah. happening. You know, I don't really know because this is the only reference that I found anything about, like, this is the only reference that I even found that he had kids. So wow. I don't know... Very much other than that. Yeah. So he was going to quit nursing at the time, but because he had to pay child support, Mm -hmm. he had to continue working. So while he was working at Warren Hospital, he attempts suicide and is sent to a psychiatric facility in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. How did he attempt suicide? He has done this like... 25,000 times. Oh, he, yeah. I don't know how, but nothing ever says how he did. Or did he just say, I attempted suicide? Because he kills people real easily, but he doesn't kill himself. I don't know. So after he's released from the behavioral health unit, he goes back to work and kills another patient who's 90. Oh, gosh. um, With the heart stimulant, the digoxin or digoxin i don't know anyway kills her then he breaks into the house of a co-worker by the name of michelle tomlinson so he breaks into her house when she and her son are there asleep he doesn't wake him up but then he starts stalking her oh, so gosh. she of course files a police report against him and then at that time his wife gets another restraining order against him, and so he loses all visitation rights with his kids. So then he attempts suicide again because oh, he Lord. was arrested. He pled guilty to trespassing. He got one year of probation for the stalking of mm-hmm. M- Michelle. He was sent to another psychiatric hospital. He gets out, and three months later, He's still working at Warren Hospital, and he kills another patient, 85-year-old Mary Natoli. Oh, I didn't say the other lady's name. Lucy Magervo. Sounds fancy. Magavero. <laughs> One of, I'm, I really suck with names. 
gives me anxiety pronouncing names. Yeah. Um, but with the same digoxin. So after he attempted the suicides while he was working at Warren, when he quit there, then he began working in an intensive care and cardiac cardiac care unit in Hunterdon. Oh, sorry, at Hunterdon Medical Center in Flemington. So there, he he murdered at least five people. Oh my gosh! Through overdoses with the digoxin, while he's working there in in Flemington, Jersey, he receives award for diligence and hard work from colleagues. Oh whoa, yeah, hard work, stalking, mm-hmm. killing. So he gets another girlfriend, or he gets a girlfriend while he's working there. Kills a few more people. He There are a lot of murders, and we'll talk about how many towards the end. So what we're going to do is we're going to actually post a list of his victims on the website yeah. with their ages and even how they died, because it would just be too much to list out. Okay, sounds good. So he one of the, his girlfriend that he got worked with him at the hospital, and so she broke up with him, and so he was like, well, I'm not fucking working here anymore, and so he quit his job. So then he got a job at... Morristown Memorial Hospital. Damn, he's had more jobs than a lot of people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So he only lasted there for less than a year before he was fired for poor poor performance. Damn, he went from being star pupil to fired. Mm -hmm. You're fired. Mm -hmm. Okay, so after he was fired for his poor poor performance, that's hard to say, (laughs) he was unemployed for six months. So he couldn't make his child support payments. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So then he was hired by Liberty Nursing Home and Rehabilitation Center in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Oh, so he got God, his, a nursing home? Yeah. So he got his, his nursing license in Pennsylvania. A couple months after that, is he declares bankruptcy. So while he's working in Pennsylvania, he was accused of giving patients drugs that were unscheduled and he was seen walking into a patient's room with syringes in his hands. Didn't apparently didn't give the the patient any injections, but the patient ended up with a broken arm. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, probably because they woke up and he's like and fought him. about to do it and then they're like no and he was like nah, nah, nah. Yeah, so he was fired for quote accidentally breaking a patient's arm. Oh yeah, it's an accident. So unless that person had metastatic cancer that was eating up the bone because I literally have had patients before that never with me thank the good lord for this because that would break my heart and I don't know if I could live through it. I'm just kidding. Obviously, I could. (laughs) But, like, they've had usually lymphoma or myeloma, and it spreads to the bone. Mm -hmm. And when it's, like, they've, multiple times I've had people break their arm just pushing up to get up from a chair. Oh, my god! So, unless it's something like that, there's no fucking reason that you should break somebody's arm. Especially on accident. Again, unless you're, I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Shit like that would happen. I could see that happening, like, like in oncology. Mm-hmm. If you were helping them up or something and they had metastatic lesions everywhere. Yeah. But that ain't what this is. Mm-mm. So he also caused the death of another patient at the Liberty Hospital that was actually blamed on another nurse. Fuck. Yeah. So after he left Liberty Hospital, he went to another hospital oh my gosh. in Easton, Pennsylvania. 
and he worked there for about six months. From there, while he was there, he murdered another patient, for which, like the coroner's blood test showed lethal amounts of the digoxin in his blood. And so they started an internal investigation mm. at at Easton Hospital, but it was inclus- in, inconclusive because they could not prove that he is was who gave oh. that patient the medication. Yeah. So he left there. This is ridiculous. Like the amount of places that he went and worked is just yeah. like, and we'll get into that in a minute. So he left Eaton Hospital and started working as a night nurse at a burn unit at Lehigh Valley Hospital in Salisbury Township, New Jersey. Oh, gosh. So he kills a couple of people. And then, okay, here you go. Finally, you finally get a, attempt of re, a way of attempted suicide. Okay. So at this time, we're getting into like the 2000s. Okay. So we've gone from wow. like the 80s to the 2000s. Damn. He was living in an apartment building, lugged a charcoal grill into his bathtub, lit the bitch on fire, hoping to die from carbon monoxide poisoning. So, of course, his neighbors smelled the smoke and called the fire department, and he was taken to another psychiatric facility and was released the next day. And he got hired somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. It's like fucking Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he leaves the Lehigh Valley Hospital and starts working for St. Luke's in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Then he has a brother that passes away from brain cancer. Weird, we were just talking about cancer. Yeah. So while he's working at St. Luke's is when some coworkers found, like, vials of med- medication in the trash can that they were like... Well, not the trash can. The disposal bin mm-hmm. that they were like, um, these are weird. Why are these here? Yeah. Because, you know, they're not, the drugs that, that were in the disposal bin were not what could be used as street drugs. Right. Like, it was like that digoxin that I'm probably saying wrong, and every nurse and medical professional listening to this cringes every time I say the name. <laughs> but they're not street drugs. They're like, help your patient drugs. Yeah. Put on a freaking code cart drugs. And so they're like, okay, well, this is weird. And they noticed that that Charles Cullen had been the one that was taking the medications out. Because at this time, we're talking about like 2001-ish. So the dispensing systems for medications is way more high tech. You have to yeah. put in your little code. The drawer pops out. You get your medicine. You know, all that stuff. And so the system is getting smarter and so they know that he's the one that was taking the medications out. And so he was given the option from the medical facility to resign and be given a neutral recommendation or be fired. Like, what? So, of course, what does he do? We're going to get into all that. So what, of course, does he do is resign Resigns. and yeah. he's escorted from the building. So at that point, seven of his coworkers from St. Luke's alerted the Lehigh County District Attorney and was like, I really think that he's using drugs to kill patients. Damn. Um, However, the investigators never looked into his past, and the case case was dropped nine months later due to lack of evidence. What? Mm Mm-hmm. Lack of evidence? We just went on for 30 fucking minutes about all the evidence. Oh, and I have not even 
begun listing the number of deaths yet. Oh, like I cannot like it's a lot. So in September of 2002, he begins working at Somerset Medical Center in Somerville, Jersey. Soon after he started working at Somerset, that's where the pieces kind of started being put together because, again, we're in the early 2000s. This is 2002. The computer systems are more up-to-date. They started noticing that he was accessing patient records that he was not assigned to, which is, like, that right there is grounds for immediate grounds for termination. Yeah. Or grounds for immediate termination, whatever. Like, that's illegal. Uh Uh-huh. And so coworkers started noticing that he was going into patients' rooms that he was not assigned to and that he was, like, so in the drug dispensing cabinets, it was showing that he was requesting medications for patients that, that had never been prescribed to them and that his requests were kind of strange, like... There would be orders that were immediately canceled and then, like, repetitive requests, like, immediately after one another that were canceled and then re-put in. Wow. So, in July of 2003, the executive director of the New Jersey Poison Information and Education System warned Somerset officials that at least four suspicious overdoses, like, within the hospital indicated that there was probably an employee that was killing people. Wow. So that system was triggering how it should be. Yeah. And so the hospital delayed in contacting authorities. Oh, my gosh. So from the time, and and they didn't, so they didn't contact authorities until October. So by the time they got the information in July to October, he had already killed five more people. Holy fuck. And he was, had attempted to kill a sixth. So when, in October of 2003, in Somerset, a patient died from low blood sugar, the hospital alerted the New Jersey State Police, and that person was his final victim. At this point, he's been reported that his patient died of an insulin overdose. It was his patient. He administered the medicine. So they start looking into his employment history. Ding, ding, ding. mm -hmm. So Somerset's fired him at the end of October for lying on his job applications. <laughs> and then a nurse that had worked with him, Amy Logarin, alerted police that she was concerned that he was accessing drugs that had been linked to to deaths. And so the police kept him under surveillance while they started, you know, building a case. Yeah. So, on December 12, 2003, is when he was finally charged with one count murder and one count attempted murder. A couple of days later, he admitted to the murder of Reverend Florin Gall and the attempted murder of Jin Han, both people at Somerset. He told the detectives he had murdered as many as 40 patients. What the fuck? In his 16-year career. Holy shit. Yeah. Like, when you go through the deaths, just let me just let me just read some of these dates. I mean, I'm not going to do a lot, but February 12th, February 23rd, February 23rd, March 11th, April 4th, May. You know, so some of them were like yeah. multiple in a month. Some of them were multiple in a day. That's Some crazy. of them were like once a month. You know, so it was like he, I don't know. So he was sentenced to 18 consecutive life sentences. 
good. He is not eligible for parole until the year 2403. Holy fuck. When I read that number the first time, I was like, my brain could not compute. Yeah. You know, because I was like, 2403. Wow. Like, we're in 2018. Like, I mean, duh. But it's like, that is in 400 years. (laughs) Yeah. That, like, is he Noah? How's he lived that long? He's a vampire. Oh, just kidding. Just kidding. There's a lot. Like, this guy. Okay. So, he was in March of the 2006. He was brought into the court courtroom in Lehigh County. And the judge, William H. Platt, was going to sentence him. And literally... Cullen kept saying, Your Honor, you need to step down. Your Honor, you need to step down. (laughs) For 30 minutes, he kept saying, Your Honor, you need to step down. Like, over and over and over. The judge had him gagged with a cloth and duct tape. (laughs) He still, Your Honor, you need to step down. Legit. Still, like, chanting. Well, he's committed. And so, uh, yeah. So, at that point, he got an additional six life sentences. So part of his plea agreement to not get the death penalty Mm -hmm. was that he would go through medical records from all these places and show, like, tell them who he killed. Because there were some times where he was like, of course, I can't remember what facility it was, but he was like, no, I didn't kill anybody there. But then when they started going to the medical, he's like, oh, yeah, I killed that. Oh, oh, yeah. And now he had killed like five or seven people there. Oh, my God. And he just had forgotten. Um, Oh, sorry. Yeah. You know why? Because people are meaningless to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, drama around this case. Okay. So, not only did he, do we, like, know of 40 victims, they think that possibly the number of victims is upward of three, three to 400. Holy shit. So, I don't know how true that is. Obviously, it's estimates, but it could be that high. Well, yeah, I mean, he'd do a twofer mm-hmm. in a day. Well, and, you know, one of the things is that he says that he, so he was a heavy drinker. And that was kind of at the beginning when he started, like, with the domestic violence and all of that, was that he was drinking really heavily. And so, you know, he told police he was living his life kind of in a fog. He would black out some of the memories, like, he wouldn't remember murdering most of the victims. So that's why they think, like, Okay, so he's remembered 40. Yeah. How many is he? If he really is, like, a blackout drunk, like, how many is he not remembering? Right. This case actually had a pretty big legal impact in that there weren't a lot of reporting mechanisms for medical institutions because they were so fearful of legal action. Right. So they couldn't tell, you know, if somebody called to say, hey, is... Did Carrie Easterling work for you at from these dates? Really, all we can say now is, yeah. Would you hire her again? Yes or no? Like, those are really the only really? questions you can answer. And so, in a lot of states, though, legislation and, and I don't even know if legislation is the right word, but maybe laws, basically, were changed to cause greater penalties for healthcare facilities that did not report suspicious deaths because that was a lot of it too the hospitals weren't reporting them yeah because even if they got busted as not reporting them they basically just got a minimal fine and so they're like well we'll pay this fine and not report you know if even if we Mm -hmm. get busted well now there's greater penalties that's awesome and then the other thing too is 
protecting the employer or the previous employer when the new when the potential employer calls for a reference. Yeah. To be able to give a more accurate, you know, representation of what the what that employee is like. Yeah. And, and you know, because the medical community is a pretty small small world. Mm-hmm. Um and so you know, the nurses talked and they, you know, he he his name, you know, his reputation preceded him. In June of 2001, he took a job at Sacred Heart Hospital in Allentown, but one of the nurses that worked there heard rumors about him from his time at Easton and told her coworkers. And so they all threatened to all quit if they hired Cullen, and so he was immediately fired. Yes. And so, you know, like it had gotten out, but again, it just there's there were too many system failures uh-huh. to catch this. Yeah. And so it's truly unfortunate that all of these patients had to die and that all of these families are lost, you know, have that loss. Yeah. You know, whether it be someone who was terminally terminally ill or not, it's not his place to be able to take that. No. Take them, you know. And so but thirty five states, including or in addition to Pennsylvania and New Jersey, his main killing grounds, really, yeah. adopted new laws which encourage employers to give honest appraisals of workers' performance. That's awesome. Um, and legal protection when they do. Yeah. So um, so that's kind of one of the big things that happened from that. And then in 2004, the Patient Safety Act increased hospitals' responsibility for reporting, quote, serious, preventable, adverse events. So, oh, what's it called? Oh, it's like like if a it's called like a sentinel event or something. I think is what it would be called when when I was working in hospitals that were accredited by Joint Commission. Like if basically if a patient died and they shouldn't have, like it's a huge fucking deal that yeah. has it, as it should be. Yeah, you know if there's a medical error involved. Also, there were new mandates that. Complaints and disciplinary records relating to patient care should be kept for at least seven years, too, because that was a lot of it, too. Like, his records were destroyed, like, not kept Mm -hmm. because, oh, he doesn't work here anymore and get rid of him. Yeah. Whereas now you have to keep some of them. And so there was a lot of good that came out of it. Right. Well, that at least is good. There's positive. Yeah. And I probably should end with that instead of this. But (laughs) so there was also drama in that. Like, his ex-girlfriend's brother called him randomly out of jail. Because he got a lot of, like, fan mail, hate mail, women who love, you know, all these, oh, you know, gosh. you know how, of like, oh, a yeah. prolific kind of serial killer gets oh, all yeah. this mail. Well, he had gotten a, some mail or a call from his ex-girlfriend's brother that someone was in need of a kidney. Oh, my God. I think I've heard of this. Was it a little girl? No. Oh. I think that might have been on SVU or something. Yeah, I think so. Let's see who this is. <laughs> so I think it was the actually the ex-girlfriend's brother, or maybe his friend. Anyway, I can't remember exactly who it was. Needed a kidney transplant. And so the, you know, that's kind of a, between a rock and a hard place. Because the family of the victims were like, fuck you. Don't pretend like you're some fucking hero. Like you want to come swoop in and donate this kidney because you're a hero you're not you killed people who were in their most vulnerable state at the hospital under your care or another's nurse care for that matter sometimes not even his and he murdered people so don't pretend like you actually care and 
want to give this kidney, you know. And so but there was a lot of there was a lot of no, I know. So there was a lot of legal legal mumbo jumbo stuff that happened, but he ended up being able to to donate the yeah, kidney. because well, it's not for him. Like you have to look past that. Like whatever, no matter you're a fucktard. Yeah, no matter like, what his his kidneys is still a kidney that could save a life. Yeah, and no matter what his reasoning is. Yeah, you know. Well, and some of the big thing was too though is that who was going to pay for it because true you would have to you have all the testing he had done a like this one test for his eligibility that only lasted a year and so there was some time constraints to get mm-hmm. it all approved and then you know it's like so you have to approve his transport you have to to pay his transport guards to sit with him at the hospital you know i mean that's yeah. so it's not just the money of like the actual transport it's his medicine before and after and it's the guarded protection for him who pays for it normally then that other person's insurance i think so that one wouldn't pay for it this time i mean why would that person's insurance pay for the police protection for well, the yeah, you know what i mean that, i mean i don't i don't i don't know though and yeah. then like well then it should have been on that other person though yeah like I mean, but if you think about that, then so that brings up another whole. So only the rich get a fucking kidney that need it because you know what I mean. Yeah. Because if they don't have the money to pay for, you know. Yeah. And so, but like, and he was in. The, I mean, there was so much hate for him, rightly so. I'm not saying anything about that. Oh but yeah, for, for sure. him in Jersey and stuff that he was in great danger actually go into the hospital to do that. And so they had to put him under a different name in the hospital. I forget the name they used. It was something stupid, like from a movie. It was like Johnny, Johnny Bravo. No, but it was something like that. Like (laughs) it was Johnny Bravo, Johnny Knoxville. No, it was something like Johnny Bravo, I think. And so like, I don't know, like one of the articles I read was talking about how like they, he had to sign the consent as Johnny Bravo yeah. But then also sign another paper that says, like, for the purposes of this, I blah, 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 am Johnny yeah. Bravo. And so, like, the nurse was saying, like, she wasn't even supposed to see the that document saying who he really was. Which, of course, she did. But, you know, so there was just so much that went into it that it, I think that it just caused a lot of re-traumatizing for the mm-hmm. family. Yeah. And... You know, I mean, how do you, how do you, I mean, not make amends. That's not the word I want to use. How do you reconcile that in your brain of this man who took 40 plus lives, of which at least one was your family member, Mm -hmm. this angel of death, but not in the, quote, compassionate murder. Right, right. This angel of death now wants to save someone else with a kidney and how much of it was a negotiation, because I think that he played a little bit of his plea bargain of like won't review medical records you know that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and so there was it was just a it was a game of chess yeah and it's unfortunate that the families of the victims had to go through that oh, yeah, and totally. all of that re-traumatizing and what have you but the families did sue hospitals in new york i mean i'm sorry in new jersey and they all settled out of court and like all that sealed so i don't know yeah we don't know how much money they Mm -hmm. got but they definitely sounds like they got what they were due yeah 
Because, you know, as a medical professional, I mean, of course, I have malpractice insurance. But that's really scary. Oh, yeah. You know, the thought of an error that could occur unintentionally that could cost someone their life Mm -hmm. or re-injure them. or I mean, I'm not doing life and death stuff. I'm doing, like, shoulder rehab, you know. Yeah. But it's 100% possible that I could do something, an error, and re-injure a shoulder and then have to go back to surgery or whatever. And that's really scary when you think about the fact that someone could sue you on a daily basis. That is, I'm not even joking, crosses my mind on a daily basis at work. Um, sure. And so it's like, it's such a double-edged sword. Like, people 100% need to be protected Yeah. as patients because, again, you know, no, not everybody's medically minded. And so people who aren't and don't know the questions to ask or don't feel comfortable to ask questions to a physician because they don't feel like they know enough to question a physician, mm-hmm. you know, it's like they need that protection. But on the other hand, if it's a genuine human error yeah, and not malicious, the providers need to be protected too. Yeah. You know, because ultimately I know that it is life and death, but you are dealing with humans. Ultimately, you don't want people to make mistakes, but it's going to happen. It's human nature. And so it's like, I feel like this is such a, again, a double-edged sword because both need to be protected. Yeah. Because it's also, I mean, we choose our professions, so I don't want to say it's not fair, but it's also hard to think of every single day you could be sued. And, of course, I am really an anxious person and so of course I think yeah, I was of course say. most people probably don't think about it like I think about it mm-hmm. because again I'm a very anxious person but you know I don't know it, that's hard and again I don't deal with life and death I'm not giving medicine or anything like that so yeah but you could fuck something up let me get you more anxious yeah, how about thanks. this thanks but you can't because Carrie's awesome honestly I always tell people like she is doing what she was sent here to do very, very good. Well, uh, thanks. <laughs> but I don't know. But, yeah. I'm. Well, and how you were saying, though, like, people aren't medically minded because of how I am. I always think, yes, that's true. But then doctors are shady, too. Oh, 100%. You know, and so it's not just because people might not be medically minded. It could be something. Oh, no, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying oh, okay. is that. Because they're not medically minded, they don't know what to ask. And so they can't protect themselves. So they need that protection yeah. because they don't have in, it in themselves to protect against the shady people. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, no, that's okay. totally what I'm saying. Okay. Wow. I well, know. that's, that's a lot. It's so funny because, like, when you have never heard of him, and then when you talked about the kidney, the kidney. and I'm like, Thought I knew it, but it was an SVU thing. But that's so crazy. Like, my worlds are colliding. Mm -hmm. Because SVU knows what's up, man. They do some, like, legit, like you said, ripped from the headlines. You'd be Stabler and I'd be Benson. Mm -mm. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I'm Benson. I'm totally Benson. No, you are Stabler. You're you're iced tea. I am iced tea. (laughs) No, no, no. You're Munch. (laughs) Just kidding. You motherfucker. I'm Munch. Actually, you are. You're Munch and Stabler together. Somewhere in there, there's a Benson on the spectrum, but 
Really, that is you. Uh, but I'm not, aware and paranoid, but then aggressive and. But I'm not gonna like beat the shit out of you. He, I don't like him. I don't want to be him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he took it too far. But I think he did. That would be and more when he got like, because. I made the mistake of you. Sorry, you would not be Benson because someone would be like, and then be like, "Oh fuck, I don't care about your fucking <laughs> life story." No, it's different. When I'm at work, I care. But no, I made the mistake one time of watching. Hit, whenever I first moved to Houston, I like recorded every single episode that came on, and so uh-huh. like I got to binge all of them. Yeah, because I was late to the SVU party. You, of course, watched it from the beginning. Yes. But when you watch episode after episode of him, you're like, come the fuck on. Yeah, he's Get your toxic. life together. God. Very toxic. Yeah. So that's why I don't want to be him. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So that's that. That was a good one. Thanks. I mean, makes me scared to go to hospitals, but other than that, yay. No, because it's like, again, there's more, there's yes. good systems in place, like, Checks and balances for medications yes, and all of beep, that now. Beep, 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 boop, boop. Yes, and you have to sign in to stuff mm-hmm. and to pull, you know, th- there's a ton of checks and balances now. All right. You ready for yours? I don't know if you're ready for mine. Oh, shit. Let's get cozy. Let's get creepy. Okay, this week I am conquering something I'm scared of. Oh, and it's not the R word. Is it a kid? And it has black eyes. No. Just kidding. It is the Ouija board. <gasps> no. It is. And I bought one so we can do it. Fuck no. <laughs> oh my God. Her face. Fuck she was that. like like all emotion drained from it. And then it was like, oh fuck. Fuck. No, uh-uh. Nope. Uh-uh. <laughs> Get, I'm, I'm bye. I'm not even going to be in the same house with it. Oh, my gosh. That was perfect. I wish I had a camera on there. Would, uh, no. Th- no. You could be like, I would pay off your student loans if you did this Ouija board. I'd say, fuck no. Oh, shit. I'd be like, okay. Uh-uh. No, fuck not, no. Just not in my house. Maybe if Courtney helped me and drew a circle and shit. Yeah, I would do it with Courtney. I still wouldn't. <laughs> I trust you, Courtney. I don't know that. That's a pretty big one, pal. My student loans. <laughs> now that she's thinking about it. Um, I'm sorry. I was impulsive to say no. It was wrong of me. Throw in my house and the student loans and you got a deal. Damn. And my I mean, car. She's not asking a lot, people. Just like $7 billion. <laughs> Are you Dr. Evil? Yes. Okay, so, Ouija board. Also, people now, I feel like more than ever, you know, because I've been around for 33 years, they say Ouija. Yeah, why? I don't know. Like, Ouija talk about, because <laughs> it's a Ouija. <laughs> like, Luigi, it's Ouija. Like, Weezer <laughs> from Weezer. From mm-hmm. Still Magnolias? Mm-hmm. That's what my brother calls me, Donna Weezer. Because your daddy calls you Donna Lisa. <laughs> and that ain't even her middle name. <laughs> the Ouija board. Oh, my God, I almost said it. You did say it. That was me rewinding it. Don't remember. Men in Black it. Psh. 
and she, Ouija board. <laughs> she, <laughs> oh my god, she closed her eyes too. I love that she plays along with my craziness. Oh, I was just yawning. Oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Girl, don't you know I'm always tired? I know, but I thought you were just doing it. <laughs> oh, shit. That's funny. Yeah, I was playing along. <laughs> and this is our friendship, y'all. I'm uh-huh. like, oh, yeah. And she's like, yeah, uh-huh. sure. <laughs> this is why we've worked for 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, it is known as a talking board or a spirit board. And, again, yes, it is sold on... The board game aisles. Which is, like, the most ridiculous thing on the fucking planet. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to Walmart. I want some rollback prices and a Ouija board. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it does make sense to be sold in Walmart because that is the uh, pit of hell. Yes, I hate that place unless they want to sponsor us. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. We'll do Sam's Club, but not Walmart. No, no, no. They got the pickup now. It's not that bad. Oh, true that. Okay. But seriously, so sold on the board game aisle for like, I don't know, probably a lot now, but whatever. So if you don't know what it is, God bless you. Um, (laughs) It means that you're living a pure life and you don't have evil friends who tell you about black eyed kids and all of this stuff. And you're probably not listening. True. So if you know anyone like that, you just go ahead, tell them about us. We'll show them the way of the underworld, apparently. Of which we know nothing. <laughs> True. We're learning. We just have a podcast about it. We, we're we growing up. We're 25 now. True, true. We're learning. We're tiptoeing in. We're gaining wisdom. We still think we know it all, even though we don't. Mm-hmm. Because okay. I sure shit did at 25. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Still do. Okay. Sorry, y'all. Okay, so... Again, picture it. It's a flat board with letters of the alphabet in two semicircles, and they are above the numbers 0 through 9. Then the words yes and no are in the uppermost corners, mm-hmm. goodbye at the bottom, and then you have like a teardrop-shaped device called the planchette. Mm-hmm. And so in that looks like a spade. And it has a circle, usually made of glass or plastic, where that's where it shows what letter it's on. Mm-hmm. So think about it as like a magnifying glass. Right. So the idea is two or more people sit there, fingertips are on the planchette, and you ask a question and you wait for it to move and guide you to the answers. You can't do it with one person? Mm-mm. It needs to be two people. Oh, so, okay. I mean, people do it. I'm just saying. That's not the rules. Parker Brothers did not tell you to do it with one person. All right, so where did it come from? Where did it go? Cotton Eye Joe. Okay. So, one of the first mentions is found in China around 1100 A.D. Damn. Mm-hmm. And it was in a historical document of the Song Dynasty, and it was a method called Fuji, which was planchette writing. It wasn't, like, on a board. Yeah. You know, it had different things, but now that was, like, first mention. If you go back, yeah, look at all the shit, there you go. But what we know of it, so it came straight out of the 19th century 
and our obsession with spiritualism. Spiritualism is the belief that the living can communicate with the dead. Okay. It had been around for years in Europe and all that shit. But then the movement kind of gained when it was an era when like, you know, people died around like 50. That was their average lifespan. Mm -hmm. So lots of death. Women died in childbirth. Children died of diseases. I mean, we all know tuberculosis. Right. How many, Mary. Yeah. How many fucking things have we talked about? Right. Okay. So then another big thing was men died in war. And during the Civil War, spiritualism was like fucking on trend. Okay. BuzzFeed would have been like 20 things you need to know about spiritualism. You know? Yeah. With the Civil War and people not coming back, everyone wanted to communicate with their lost one. So the Ouija board and spiritualism and all of that, it's not how we think of it today. It wasn't like that. It was pretty much like a wholesome thing to do. And spiritualism was kind of bougie. Like people would get dressed up and have like... It was like a parlor game almost, you know, like, yeah, I'm going over to Carrie's with my pinky up drinking some she she shit and <laughs> we're going to contact the dead. <laughs> Why? When you said she she, all I could think about was a she shed. Oh, gosh. Somebody lit my she shed on fire or whatever. My gosh. Okay. So, in 1886, the fledgling Associated Press reported on a new phenomenon taking over the spiritualist camps in Ohio. It was the talking board. Basically a Ouija board, but it just, like, wasn't all laid out the same. So, the article went far and wide, deep and wide, all of that shit. Mm -hmm. It gained the attention of Charles Kennard of Baltimore, Maryland. And then, uh, so in 1890, he pulled together a group of four investors, which included Elijah Bond, who was a local attorney, and Colonel Washington Bowie, but he was a surveyor. And so they were like, all right, we're going to start Canard Novelty Company, and we're going to make these talking boards. Because it's like, Mm -hmm. it's on trend. Yeah. We getting it. We going to market, and we going to get rich. Mm Mm-hmm. And die. Like, make it rain. Okay, Prince. (laughs) No, that's purple rain. Oh, my gosh. So, because, like, none of them were spiritualists. They could give a rat's ass what this was. They were just, like, people want it. They were hustlers. Mm -hmm. Fuck yeah, get it, boy. Yeah. And so, they're like, all right. Well, what do we call it? Because the talking board doesn't sound cool. Like, that's not hot. That's not sexy. You know how, like, right, right. people love to say that in marketing? That's not sexy. That's obnoxious. Oh, I hate that, too. Okay. So, several things say that it is a combination of we, French for yes, and ja, German for yes. Okay? Mm. But Robert Murch, he's, like, a huge Ouija researcher been on all kinds of shit with my bedazzled boo okay he has made his living 
knowing Ouija. Oh my God, I fucking did it again. You converted. Oh my God, I didn't mean to. Okay. <laughs> so, like, he's been behind the scenes on multiple scary movies and all kinds of stuff. Like, living his best life, being freaky deaky. Okay. But he is, like, the researcher go-to for Ouija boards. And he said, based on his research, it was Elijah Bond's sister-in-law, Helen Peters, who they say was a strong medium. They were all sitting around the table, and they asked the board what they should call it. And, you know, they all had their little fingertips on it, and it spelled out Ouija. Then they asked what that meant, and it said, good luck. Hmm. Okay. So then Merch found out that Helen Peters actually was wearing a locket bearing a picture of a woman, and the name Ouija was above her head, and it was really, her name was like Ouida or something, Mm -hmm. and they think they just misspelled it. Oh. You know, because, like, whoever had the locket misspelled it, and they're like, ooh, this could be great, you know? Yeah. They say that, but who knows? I don't know. And everything could have been together, and it was really, like, a spirit leading that to even happen. Who knows? Yeah. Because I don't fucking understand. Me neither. The shit. I just love it. And scared of it. I was going to say, not enough to do it. (laughs) Because you have enough fear and respect for it to not do it. Yes. So, speaking of Helen Peters, she actually disavowed the Ouija board after a personal experience that created a huge rift in her family. Mm. They found that a collection of Civil War era buttons went missing. So, they're like, let's get the board out and ask it who is a thief. And it named someone else in the family. And Helen's like, this is a lie. Like, this is not true. This is blah, 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 blah. And so half of her family believed her. Other half is like, no. Like, this is the truth. This happened. Like, how did it spell out this person's name? Right. You know, whatever. And so she was like, fuck this. I hate it. It's a liar. It's, you know, fake. Whatever. So she's no longer associated with it. And it, like, wasn't even her that it named. I don't know who right. it was, but, like, girl, you missed out on a fortune. Well, simmer down. <laughs> so, according to Merch's interviews with the descendants of the founders, when they went to get it patented to sell, the guy was like, mm-mm, it's just a toy, like, it's nothing, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, no, this is so true. He was the chief patent officer, and he demanded a demonstration. He's like, okay, if it could accurately spell my name, which was supposed to be unknown to them, and but, like, Bond was a lawyer and, like, knew mm-hmm. some of this stuff, so it could have just been him. Who knows? But it was supposed to be unknown. Like, they just randomly got this guy you know okay so they all sat down communed with the spirits the spirits and the planchette faithfully spelled out the patent officer's name but it said so he went white-faced was like 
Earl Firk. Yeah. You know? Um, so on February 10th, 1891, uh, they were awarded a patent for the Ouija board. 1891? Mm-hmm. Damn. And so it's just funny, like, if you think about it, it's supposed to have named itself, and now it's helped get its patent. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's basically doing all the fucking work. Right? I mean, what are the whatever their names are even doing? <laughs> Nothing. And it it's catch, to catch a predator over there. For real? Got the thief. Yeah. <laughs> so now they've got this going. Spiritualism, again, all-time high. But this wasn't a huge boom yet. And so at the time, people had been, like, doing, I think it was called, like, round table or something, where they would sit at the table, and if it shook, it meant something. Mm -hmm. And then they had people that would, like, rap on the walls. And, oh, kind of like in our episode, Mm -hmm. Walls and Dolls, Mm -hmm. where he would knock on it, and they thought, yeah. That is how people would communicate. And so, I mean, can you imagine how fucking long that would take? No. Like, okay, two knocks is an A? No. Okay, like, fucking hangman? (laughs) You know? Like, oh, my God. Well, I mean, it'd be like Morse code. Okay, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Don't shut up. But I feel like... Um, no, I, did, I mean, hello, I don't know Morse code. Me neither. So it was just boring. It got too drawn out, you know, like, you know, of, like we all do. Mm-hmm. We want something fancy. Like, go ahead, Quick. shock me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when they first offered the Ouija board, they really didn't give any directions, anything. It was just like, connect with spirits. And that worked because it was so mysterious Mm -hmm. that people were like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, I want to do this. I can do this on my own. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I don't have to wait for she-she parties. Right. Like, yes, please. I can do this in, like, no bra. Damn. No corset. Whatever. Like, sign me the fuck up. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I would do it for that. Be like, oh, I can stay home? Okay. Except for I wouldn't. (laughs) I mean, if I was back then. Yeah, if you didn't know any better. Yeah. Again, it soared. By 1892, the Canard Novelty Company went from one factory in Baltimore to two in Baltimore, two in New York, two in Chicago, and one in London. Damn. Then they went international. Yeah, in like a year. Damn. So by 1893, Canard and Bond were out. Okay, so by this time, William Fold, he had gotten in on the ground floor. And fooled everyone. Yes, basically. Did he really? Mm-hmm. Damn. You always fucking ruin it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't need a fucking Ouija board. You see I know the what's future. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I mean, you could have just read my notes, but whatever. I didn't. I can't read from here. I know. So he started, he was the head of the company. Like, he owned it. So he licensed the exclusive what? Oh my God, he licensed the exclusive rights to make the board. Do we know why the other two wanted out? It was like money changes shit, and mm-hmm. so you know they just kind of wanted their money 
Okay. And be get done. Get done. Yeah. Like. Cash out. Yep. Look, they, they pulled left the on slot. a high. Yeah, they pulled the slot too many times. They <laughs> said, look, one more hit, and if I don't win this time, I'm pulling exactly. out. Exactly. And like most things, they pulled out too soon. <gasps> Damn. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that would be me. I would make my money and be like, okay, I'm done. And then it'd be like, and this changed the universe. But like, yeah. fuck. Yeah. I really did it, okay? But, okay. So he got it. And he marketed it as a mystical oracle and family entertainment. Oh, yeah, because that's one and the same. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, you're four years old. You can conjure a fucking demon. But they didn't think of demons this way. They thought it was just fun. Like, you could talk to a spirit and yeah. whatever. Yeah, grandma. Yeah. So, so, again, this took it from just having spiritualists who made money through this you buy this, and you can do it multiple times. Yeah. You know, you don't have to, again, have host a party and all this shit to have this person come. Right. Like, again, you pull it out of your fucking... Game closet. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, again, you know, people, during hard times, you always want something good. And it's like, okay, well, we might not have food to eat and all this, but we can talk to, you know, our grandmother, our yeah. blah, blah, blah. We can... Contact, you know, like yeah. be this mystical person. What well, year was this? Was this this was was this around the Great Depression? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, like when it started to boom even more. Okay. Like nineteen ten, nineteen twenty. Okay, before the fall. Yeah, but then like prohibition, like just all of that was coming. Uh huh. And so it's like again turmoil, mm-hmm. just like everything. I mean, when we go to wars, the economy goes. Uh, because it, that's just it. Like, people spend fucking money when they're nervous. Well, yeah. But it also creates more jobs because you got to manufacture yeah. weapons and so forth and so yeah. on. And so it stimulates the economy because um, because of more jobs, people mm-hmm. are able to afford more things. Yeah. So it was, like, normal, like I said. Household thing. So normal that in 1920, in May, Norman Rockwell... The artist guy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, that guy, we're real cultured. Um, (laughs) He depicted a man and a woman with the Ouija board on their knee. Like, he painted this. Damn. Like, just whatever. And it was for the Saturday Evening Post. Like, it. so it's just, again, a normal fucking thing. Like, hey, it's Friday night. Let's conjure up a spirit. Right. Saturdays are for spirit day. Dang. (laughs) <laughs> Dang. Uh, well. During the Great Depression, there you go, Carrie, the Fold Company opened new factories to meet demand for the boards. Over five months in 1944, a single New York department store fo- sold 50,000 of them. What? Five months. In 1940-whatever. 1944. Like, that's insane. Yeah, 50,000. This sounds like tickle me fucking elbow. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You were that crazy? Yes. Oh, gosh. So, in 1967, the year after Parker Brothers bought the game from the Fold Company, two million boards were sold, outselling Monopoly that year. Holy shit. Yeah. Like, don't pass go. We want to go to the fucking spirit land. 
They collected their fucking $2,000. 200 <laughs> whatever the hell it is. I'm adjusting for inflation. Apparently. So one thing I thought was funny is it was marketed as a nice thing to do as a couple. Oh. Mm-hmm. You could sit beside each other. Almost touch knees or sometimes touch knees. No. Your hands would be together, you know, like you're bonding. Damn. Uh, so Summoning can you a say uh, Ouija and chill? Damn. Oh, God. Did you write that down? I did. Damn. Literally, Ouija and chill anyone? Oh, my God. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. I didn't. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. That's great. <laughs> All right, so in 1920, a National Wire Service reported that would-be crime solvers were turning their Ouija board, turning to their Ouija board for clues in mysterious murders. One was of a New York City gambler, Joseph Burton Elwell, and like the police were like, "Oh my God, shut the fuck up!" <laughs> but they were like, uh, "No, we're gonna solve this for you," you know. Reminds me of R.I.P. Sylvia Brown. Mm-hmm. She went on Montel all the time. Yes, and it was all fake. All fucking fake. Okay, so in 1921, the New York Times reported that a Chicago woman being sent to a psychiatric hospital tried to explain to doctors that she wasn't sur- suffering from mania, but the Ouija spirits had told her to leave her mother's dead body in the living room for 15 days Ew. before burying her in the backyard. Ew. One, how long was that fucking Ouija board session? I'd be like, today, Junior, tell me what the fuck to say. Like, good Lord. Well, like, could you imagine? L E E. Yeah. Space. They don't do spaces. It's a joke. Oh. I was like, girl, you haven't played with the Ouija board. Uh, Backspace, backspace, hashtag. Oops, wrong letter. (laughs) Fucking autocorrect. Damn. Okay. Then, in 1930, newspaper readers were thrilled because two women in Buffalo, New York, who'd murdered another woman... Supposedly, on the encouragement of a Ouija board message, then in 1941, a 23-year-old gas station attendant from New Jersey, uh, he was not the angel of death, though, they told the New York Times that he joined the army because the Ouija board told him to. Okay. Mm-hmm. In 1958, a Connecticut court decided not to honor the Ouija board wheel of... Helen Dow Peck, who left only a thousand dollars to her two former servants, and an insane one hundred and fifty-two thousand dollars to Mister John Gale Forbes, a lucky but bodiless spirit who'd contacted her via the Ouija board. Oh my God! <laughs> like what? Damn! That oh, you know they're like you motherfucker. I mean, they got their shit anyway because they took it to the fucking court. And they said, Judge, you can sit down, Your Honor. You can sit down, Your Honor. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, shit. I think that was the funniest fucking thing you said. Damn. Uh, And then they gagged him. Like, okay, yeah. I forgot to tell you. So, in 1927, fueled 
however you fucking say his name, Mm -hmm. uh, he died after a freak fall from the roof of his new factory. And it was a factory that he said the Ouija board told him to build. What? So he was murdered. Not really. But damn. It's like the thing that made him rich Mm -hmm. killed him too. Damn, that's poetic. Put that on a fucking license plate. You know, bumper like, sticker. Yeah, bumper sticker. God, <laughs> fuck. Something make it money. Like that would be like, like in, like Tupac's lyrics. <laughs> oh God, R.I.P. Or really, is he still alive? Mm-hmm. Okay, so then in 1916, this was not a murder. This was somebody making money off of a Ouija board, but in a different way. Pearl Karan, Karan, I think. She made headlines when she began writing poems and stories that she claimed that she dictated via the Ouija board by a spirit of a 17th century English woman named Patience Worth. What? Yeah. Then uh, the following year, one of her friends, Emily Grant Hutchins, she claimed that her book was communicated via the Ouija board by Samuel Clemens, who is better known as Mark Twain. Oh, I should have known that. Mm-hmm. And I think they actually, like, the family of Mark Twain might have tried to sue her or something, but they couldn't not prove that she was talking right. to Mark Twain. So right. it was like, I mean, you can't, you can't prove it. Then there was this huge guy, James Merrill. He was a Pulitzer, Pulitzer Prize winning poet, but he... Again, had a Ouija-dictated poem and shit. But he didn't say that he, like, talked to a spirit. He said that it basically acted more as a magnifier for his own poetic thoughts rather than a hotline to the spirits. I know when that hotline blank. Oh, my God. I almost said that. I didn't write that down. I was about to say, you probably wrote it down. Okay. So, everything's going good. I mean, like, shit has happened. But still popular, still wholesome, you might can make money from it. Then in 1973, everything fucking changed. Why? Because everybody was doing acid? (laughs) Maybe. But also, The Exorcist came out. Oh, true. Mm -hmm. Remember Roland Doe? Marley does. He was who The Exorcist was based off of. So huge movie and you know they all saw uh, Reagan be possessed by a demon after she used the Ouija board. Yeah. And so almost overnight it became evil. Damn. A tool of the devil. You know it was like everyone was like oh fuck we want to have success like the exorcist so we're going to put in a Ouija board going to be possessed blah 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 blah. You know. Yeah. I mean hilarious Still doing that till to this day, and it still terrifies me, and I still watch all that shit. Right. So, again, it went from everyone wanted one, everyone had a great time, let's have a family night and contact some spirits to, oh, fuck, it's a demon thing. It's of the devil. Mm-hmm. It's blah, blah, blah. Like, you couldn't go to church after you played with this before. You can contact a spirit on Saturday, go to church on Sunday, and be good. Right. Now it's like, oh shit, no, you can't go to church and play with the Ouija anymore. And isn't that so funny? Like, that's so how everything is. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Like, one thing 
changes it. And it's so insignificant, too. Yeah. Like, it's a movie. Yeah, I mean, it was based on a real story, but... But do we know that he played with a Ouija board before? I mean, they said that. Okay. Did you not remember my story? I didn't remember that. His aunt died, and... Oh, duh. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. Duh, 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 duh. So, now I'm going to go into what scientists say about the Ouija board. Because now, like, we've got to where it's evil. Yeah. So, before I tell you scary shit, I'm going to tell you. So, scientists say that it's not powered by spirits, but it's more that it's powered by us. And even though we swear we're not moving it, they say that it was it works based on something called the ideometer effect. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what this effect is, is examining the automatic muscular movements that take place without we us being aware. So think about crying in reaction to a sad film. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it just happens. Right. It's also like... If you've ever experienced jerking awake. Yeah. Oh, I hate that. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's like a more abrupt version of it, but that's still the same thing. Like your body moves, but you didn't do it. Right. It just happens. So obviously you're awake when this happens if you're doing it at the Ouija board. But they're saying that it's basically the mind processes things on a different level. And so... It's like you're the unaware state of you is focusing on something, you know, like you're focusing on not moving the planchette, whatever, but you're also thinking about the question that just was asked, you know? And so then if you ask, when did you die? Like you have, you're going to answer it in your head at some point. Like, I wonder if it was the 1920s. And so you could, without knowing Put that in there. Right. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. So that's how, that's what they say. But that's also kind of scary too, though, to think about. That's a whole nother thing of being aware and unaware of your actions. Right. But I mean, the the unawareness of your actions is like a, almost like a tick. It's not, you know what I mean? That where you go towards these letters and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're going to go kill someone and never know you did it. Yeah, yeah. So, for all that information, I used a lot of it from the Smithsonian Magazine online. Just wanted to let y'all know, like, that's where I got a lot of that from. So, now that we know that scientists say blah, 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 but we all know that everything is cannot be scientifically proven. You might think that it can, but... Not always. So here's some examples of some creepy stories I found. Okay. This one was from paranormal.lovetoknow.com. I mean, hello. That sounds like something I would go to. Right. Which I did. did. (laughs) Beat you to it. So I'm just going to read what this person had wrote in. Cindy was only 13. She was in... She was a middle child with a large, devoutly Christian family who lived in in northern Maine. She had three older sisters, a younger sister, and a younger brother. At some point during the eighth grade, a friend let her borrow a Ouija board for a weekend. So that weekend, 
Cindy and her older sisters played with the board. They did it in secret late at night because they knew, you know, their parents would be like, don't do it. Mm -hmm." Yeah. So, like, she was mesmerized by it and became obsessed with it. And so, like, she could think of nothing else but ask questions, like, constantly making a list of, okay, I'm going to ask this. Okay, blah, 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 blah. So, she had an hour every day after school where she was alone. So, Monday afternoon, right after getting home from school, she got up to her room, set up the Ouija board, and laid her fingertips on the planchette. After just 10 minutes of sitting quietly, the planchette started to jerk softly across the board. It spelled out H-I, and Cindy's breath was caught in her throat. She, hi, like, Mm -hmm. hi, who are you? And it spelled out J-A-K-E, Jake. A shock ran through Cindy. Jake was a friend of hers who had died in a car accident in fourth grade. No. So she's like, Jake, is it really you? And the pointer moved to yes. Of course it did. Mm-hmm. Over the next hour, Cindy held this conversation with Jake. Every day after school, she'd race up to her room, talk to her old friend. But after a few days, the conversations became darker and angrier. By the second week, Cindy had the impression that she wasn't talking with Jake but instead a dark and terrible imposter, which we know, Mm -hmm. Mm D-E-M-O-N. (laughs) Demon. So finally, by the end of the second week, the entity revealed itself as a demon and threatened Cindy if she told anyone about their conversations, she would die. So that Friday night, when her sisters got home, they found Cindy curled up in a corner crying. It took a week in a mental facility before she could recover enough from that shit. Yeah. And, like, so finally she did, and she's okay, but... Damn. Like, do not just believe everything. Right. It's like, are you who you say you are? Of course I am. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my God. Jake, is it really you from State Farm? (laughs) She sounds hideous. Of course I am. I just love that commercial. What are you wearing? A red polo and khakis? Oh, no, he's like, khakis? I love how he says khakis. Okay, so this one is Can't Hide Secrets from Ouija. Weezer. Weeza. Whatever you said. I'm not going to read it, like, verbatim. I'm just going to kind of go through it, okay? okay? So one summer, there were three middle-aged... Nope, not middle-aged. Middle school... Middle school age. Good Lord. That's a tongue twister. So, they discovered a Ouija board in the trash outside of an apartment building. So, of course, they get it because it's spooky and, mm-hmm. you know, Forbidden uh-huh, and- taboo. So, which, I mean, if it's in the trash, it ain't no good. Like, if they're going to throw away something that right. is like that, like, don't even pick it up. Keep a walking. Mm-hmm. So, Tom, he was the oldest of these three boys, and he was... A fucktard and really mean and really a bully. He would, like, punch this one guy, Josh, in the arm all the time. Like, jokingly. Yeah. You know, but um, it would bruise. And then he would call him stupid, blah, 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 blah. So, Chris, the third guy, he would just remain silent. So, like, 
he didn't want to get bullied. He just kind of, like, let it happen. Right. So, they hated Tom, but they tolerated it because they had no other friends. Pretty much, like, every freaking Mm -hmm. case of this, you know, like... Right. I have no one else, so you'll do. Like, I'll suffer through. Right. Because I don't want to be alone. So, they took the Ouija board over to Tom's house and like his father was always working. So he was alone. His mom had passed away years earlier. So they're like, we can do what we want here. We're going to, you know, talk to some spirits. So they sat there and had the planchette and it finally spelled out getaway. And they're like, getaway. I live here. Like Tom. And then it started moving, like, brisk, briskly in the figure eight. And then it said N-O-W. Now. Thanks. <laughs> and so Chris was like, that's weird. I wonder what that means. Then Chris asked, where should we go? And then it spelled out, it hurts. And so Tom is like, this is stupid. Like, stupid. And he's like, you guys are doing this. Like, let's test it. Josh, let go. Okay? And so Josh removed his hands from the planchette, and he's like, okay, now ask it a question that only you would know. And so Josh immediately asked, who is the person who keeps hitting me? And so, like, Tom was, like, giving him, like, fuck you eyes, you know? But it moved quickly, and it spelled out, ask Tom, And Tom was like, this is stupid, you know, again. And then it spelled out D-A-D, dad. And so Chris was like, what? You know? And then it spelled D-A-D again. And, like, Tom started breathing heavier, like, freaking kind of out. His face turned red. He started sweating. And it spelled dad a third time. So he jumped up, ran from the room crying, And, like, this was the first time they've ever heard him cry. Yeah. They learned a few days later that Tom's father routinely abuses him. And somehow the Ouija board knew his innermost secret. Which is exactly why he bullied the Mm -hmm. other kid. Yep. Dang, that's so sad. It is sad. So sad. Okay, so this is from ThoughtCo.com. Okay, so this one is called The Ouija Brings Dread. Last year, my best friend and I decided to experiment with a Ouija board just to see if it works. We made our own out of paper and used regular drinking glass as a pointer, so we were pretty skeptical, but we were in for a shock. It took a while for the board to quote-unquote warm up, but once it did, it became apparent that we were surrounded by relatives who had passed away. The glass moved extremely slow, slowly, and there was nothing scary being said or done. However, halfway through our session, two of our other friends came bursting into the room laughing and joking. Once they calmed down, we got back to the board. This time, the glass moved extremely fast. We could hardly keep our fingers on it. It started spelling out names and words without even asking questions. The words spelled out... Uh, including murder, lust, and so we ended the session immediately because, hello, freaked out. Yeah. 
After that, everything went back to normal for a few days. But then I started waking up at 3 a.m. every night Mm -mm. with the unexplainable feeling of dread. This waking up continued for a few weeks and I began, sorry, and I started becoming depressed for no reason. Then one night at about one in the morning, my friend was walking me home. As we were walking up the road, he claimed he saw a black figure of a man leaning on the fence, staring at us. Uh Uh-uh. We laughed and joked about the place being haunted. We did used to hear bells chiming every night on that road. So, you know, like, it made sense for them. That night, I woke up again, but this time I was being pinned face down on my bed by what felt like a man. I tried to struggle, but I couldn't move. I tried to scream, but nothing came out. He started speaking in my ear, but I don't know what he said. Then he was gone. I hid under my covers like that would help and soon fell asleep. When I woke up the next morning, I put it down to a nightmare, though it felt real. A few days later, we had family visiting. My grandma, who claims to be very perceptive, came in and said she felt that there was a presence in the house. My mom said she thought so, too, ever since I'd done a Ouija board in my bedroom, but she didn't think it was harmful. My grandma disagreed, and she said she thought it was evil. The next bit is really hard for me to explain, as I don't really know how I felt. As they were arguing, I began to get the same dreadful feeling that I had so many other nights, and I began to feel something was wrong. It felt as though I was being pulled into a tunnel further and further away from the room I was in. I tried to tell my mom I didn't feel right, but I couldn't make myself talk or move. It felt as though something was trying to control me. I finally managed to make myself talk, but I screamed it. There's something wrong with me. The next thing I knew, my sister was beside me, hugging me. I was crying and shaking uncontrollably. My family said I had what looked like some type of seizure. Oh, my God. We got a priest to bless the house, and while he was doing so, all the pipes in the house made a huge screaming noise. They didn't stop until he finished the prayer. After that, everything went back to normal. I can't explain what happened to me, and it scares me to actually think of it. Jessica M. Damn. Can you imagine? Nope. Mm Mm-mm. That takes, like, sleep paralysis to a whole nother level. That's like sleep. (laughs) That's like sleep paralysis. Shadow Man and Slender Man all combined in one. Right? Oh, gosh. Okay, so I'm going to end on this one. This was from Sarah, and this was three years ago. My friend and I used to play with the Ouija board when we were kids. One night, we didn't have an actual board, so we made one with slips of paper for each of the letters, numbers, etc., and used a glass as a planchette. As we asked questions, we noticed that it was getting nastier and nastier with the responses. I completely forget what those responses were 30 years later. Finally, my friend asked if a demon was trying to communicate with us, and the planchette moved to the to point to yes. Then he asked if the demon planned to harm us, and again, it pointed to yes. Finally, he asked if the demon would leave us alone if we stopped using the board right there and then, and it said yes. What? So, needless to say, they we stopped. I think we might have taken it a bit further, but my mom was freaking out and was like, no, that's the end of it. So, apparently, she had also had an experience of her own when she was young, also with the homemade Ouija board. Her grandfather was not the nicest man in the world, and I guess he was a nasty alcoholic. 
She thinks she contacted him one night. After a few questions that he answered, she asked if he was in heaven or hell. When she got no answer, she asked again, and the planchette spelled out, I must go now. And wouldn't, Damn. Yeah, and wouldn't answer any further questions. Then, with no one touching the planchette, it flew across the room. Holy shit. No. Mm-mm. So, one, I would beat them, be like, not really beat them, but you know what I mean. Be like, mm-hmm. you're talking to a demon? Yes. <laughs> Oh That's crazy. It's so scary because it's just, and it's funny to think about that it started out being something that was marketed as wholesome and now is completely different. Mm-hmm. But it's like, again, it's how you use it, I feel like. You know, it's just a board. It's just whatever. But it's... To me, I feel like it's the portal that you open mm-hmm. and what you bring to that and what you are open to. And, yeah. And, like, they didn't know of evil back I mean, they knew of evil, but they didn't think anything evil could happen with it. So it didn't even cross their mind. Yeah. Until the exorcist. And then it was like, oh, fuck. And then it's gone. You know? Right, 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 right. Just like everything, I mean, it takes a turn and then it can never be wholesome again. Okay, so what did we learn? Don't fuck with shit you don't understand. Yes. AKA Ouija boards. Yes. And for some reason, I want to call it Ouija board now, even though I hate that. You opened up a can of worms, you cannot <laughs> unopen. Burke, do you remember those cans of worms that the cans of beans? But they actually had, like, Peanuts, spring. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your mom had a can yes. of that, didn't she? and it was, like, spring open, and it was, like, springed. Uh, nope, not springed. Like, spring with, like, it looked like worms. Yeah. Oh, my or God. Or, like, a snake or something. Yes. Yeah. She got me all the fucking time with that shit. Anyway, sorry. When you said that, I was, like, that's yeah. all I could think about. Um, But, Yeah. <laughs> There's so many rules. I should have wrote those down. But it's like, don't do it by yourself. You need at least two people. Always close it by saying goodbye. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, it's not a toy. Don't treat it no, as a toy. No, it's not. Exactly. It can just be like anything else. It could be like a fucking cell phone. It's not a toy. I mean, yeah, you can play games on it, but you can also call someone or be tracked by it. Everything else. Like, it's still not a toy. Right. So, like, you're on Snapchat. Don't. (laughs) You're on Snapchat. It's fun. You got the filter going. But if you have it checked where it can show your location. Right. You're vulnerable. Right. And so it's the same thing. I mean, it's like a board and it's sometimes fun and it can be whatever. But... You're opening something. Which that leads, I think, into two is what I was thinking was know your vulnerabilities. Yes. Like, as it relates to stuff like that, like whether it be technology or toy type things or, you know. Mm -hmm. But also know your rights, your rights and your vulnerability as a patient, too. Yes. Because there's always going to be situations in which you have zero control. You Mm -hmm. know, if he's going through the med room and... 
putting shit in IV bags. Well, then absolutely not. If it's an IV bag you need, you'd never know that. Right. But try to be aware of the shit. Yeah. Stay woke. Isn't that what the kids say now? Stay woke. Mm, I don't know. Because I am not woke. (laughs) I know nothing about shit that the kids say. (laughs) The kids say today. Do you want to contact a spirit to ask them? Nope. I was going to say three, follow the damn rules, because I'm such a rule follower. Like, he broke the rule, because it goes with both. I feel like like he broke the rules just of nursing by killing people. But also, like... Yeah, first do no harm. But I feel like also with a Ouija board, like, following instructions, like, end it with saying goodbye and all of that. Like, when people don't follow those instructions is when it's dangerous. Oh, also, I really should have wrote those rules down, but it said, like, don't ask how it died like the spirit, mm-hmm. because that's like asking how much it, you weigh and stuff. Like it's yeah. really personal. Yeah. And it, like if they, sometimes they don't remember, you know, if it was like a tragic thing, like they might not know. Yeah. Two, it is tragic then. Like, I mean, you know what I right. mean? Right. Absolutely. So they don't want to relive that. They don't want to have to tell some fucking stranger. And also, if you're, like, with your people and y'all have a circle, do not break it. And, like, if, say, me, you, and Tiffany, mm-hmm. Tiffany's like, oh, fuck, leave me out of this. Right. But uh, if, we all, too, <laughs> if we all have our fingertips on it, we can't not, like, just let go and be like, all right, like, that's bad. Meanwhile, I would have a fucking itch on my face. Girl. Uh-uh. Better take you some fucking Benadryl. <laughs> Not Benadryl. You go to sleep. Zyrtec. Oh, God. I know. Oh, God. I will be. <laughs> my eyes just closed thinking about taking Benadryl. <laughs> Golly. Mm-mm-mm. So don't do the fucking Ouija board. <laughs> don't kill people and don't do a fucking Ouija board. Yes. Pretty much all of that. But do send us your sinister sightings. Mm-hmm. A paranormal chicks at gmail.com. Have you ever done a Ouija board? Yes. Send us that shit. Please. Please. It can be a short story. It could be a long story. Just don't send it in Ouija form. Please. I don't want to have to uh-uh. Uh-uh. figure all that shit no out. No fucking spaces. No thanks. <laughs> Look, I am not the dude with the long hair off Criminal Minds. I cannot detect codes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Also, do rate us, leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Whatever you listen to us on helps us out. Yes. And remember, creep it real and don't don't get scared. scared.